I, I guess I have to admit a fault or a weakness, not a fault. Are weaknesses faults? Um, whatever, right? If you need a Bible, we're in John 17. The ushers will bring you one. If you don't have one, raise your hand. They'll bring you a Bible. Um, if you don't own a Bible, go ahead and keep it. So intercessory prayer. There's some of you in this room that I know that's your gift because you do it all the time. You pray for people. We have a, a, prayer, we have a prayer team of probably 60, 70 people now who pray for other people, and it's a glorious ministry. I have to admit, sometimes it's not my strength. Sometimes it's a, it's a weakness, and that's probably due to self-control, discipline, selfishness, whatever my issues are, and, and there's a long list of my issues. But do you love it when people say, I'm praying for you? And they, and they mean it. If you ever have someone come to you and say, oh, oh, would you pray for me, please? And you say, yes, I'll pray for you. And then three days later, they come back, oh, thank you so much for praying for me, for God did this, this, and this. And you go, oh, I forgot to pray. And they're thanking me now. Anyone besides me? Oh, come on. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. I, I, that's not even true about you, Joe, but you rescued me. Thank you. Well, it's a beautiful thing to pray for each other. But do you know that Jesus prays for you always? This is important truth. Jesus is always interceding for you. Today we're going to be in John 17, which is known as Jesus' high priestly prayer. But I want to set this up. As we've seen in the last several chapters, Jesus is going away. He's talking about, I'm going away and you can't come with me. He's going to the cross. And the disciples are very discouraged and they're grieving. Jesus says, I'm going to send you another helper, another paraclete. We talked about that last week. <clears throat> and it's better if I go away so he can be with you. And, and we're such physicalists, we're such, you know, people who want to see, touch, taste, hear, and smell, that I want Jesus next to me, not the Spirit in me. But Jesus said, I guarantee it's better the Spirit is in you than I'm with you. But then he dies, he's buried, he's raised again, ascends to the right hand of God, where it says he continues to be our paraclete, our helper. And he intercedes for us there. In fact, we're going to discover today that Jesus intercedes for us continuously until our salvation is complete. And this is part of the ministry of Jesus I don't think we give a lot of thought to. We put an awful lot of emphasis in, in our teaching, in our songs, on his death, burial, and resurrection. But we don't hear a lot in our teaching or music ministry about his current ministry at the right hand of God interceding for us. Not only keeping us saved, but advancing our salvation. So I want to remind you that I've said before, and we'll, we'll visit this today through the passages. Salvation is both a relationship and a journey. Okay, salvation is a relationship. We enter into a relationship with the living God. We'll talk about that. And salvation is a journey. There's a, a past perspective to my salvation. I got saved. There's a current perspective. I'm being saved. I'm growing in my salvation. And there's a future aspect that I will be ultimately and finally saved at the resurrection. So, so we've talked about that many times. So I want you to keep that in mind today. But let's look at a couple passages um, before we jump into John 17 from Hebrews chapter 4. They'll be on the screen. This talks about Jesus as our high priest, that intercessory ministry of his right now at the right hand of God. Hebrews 4.14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So, so the, the, the writer to Hebrews is writing to a group of Christians who are also Jewish, 
that were dis discouraged and struggling in their faith because they were being persecuted. And so the writer, of he they were thinking about going back to Judaism and abandoning the Christian faith. And, and the writer's saying, hold fast, hold fast. You have a high priest in heaven who's for you. Jump down to 7.23. The former priest, that is the, the priest for generations that you know, lived and died, lived and died. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost or save completely is one translation. To save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. That's our Savior. I think, I think maybe we need to make a commitment to give more thought and prayer time and praising him for what he's doing now. Never undermining what he's done, his death, burial, and resurrection. But we've tended to treat salvation as this finality thing, as opposed to an ongoing process where Christ is now interceding for you, guaranteeing your salvation. It's, it's an incredible truth. My iPad just freaked out. There we go. So let's remember, salvation is a journey. Now, Let's jump into John 17. Because John 17, I think, is a snapshot of his high priestly ministry at the right hand of God. Now, John 17, he prays for us. We're going to look at two paragraphs out of this passage. We don't have time for the whole thing. But the first one is Jesus leads us into a relationship with the Father. Remember, salvation is a relationship. Let's look at John 17, 1 through 5, and see how he describes this. When Jesus had spoken these words, all the words from 14, 15, and 16 talking about him going and the Holy Spirit coming, when he'd finished that, then he goes to prayer. When he had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the works that you have given me, or you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So Christ was with God in eternity past, in his glory, second member of the Trinity. He becomes human, comes on earth, is murdered, buried, then raised again, and now he's praying, God, Bring me back to the glory I had with you before. Because I've given eternal life to them. Look back at verse, at verse um, 02. Since you have given him authority, that's Jesus, over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Often when we think of eternal life, we think of it this way. And this isn't wrong. This is incomplete. Eternal life. So what does eternal imply? Forever. And we tend to look future. That someday I'll live forever. So I'm going to die. Short of Jesus coming back, we're going to die. So we tend to put that eternal life future. But we focus mostly on the idea of eternal. But I say to you, 
I gave them eternal. They had it right then. These disciples had eternal. They had the life that is eternal. And it's not, and that life is a quality. But the heart of that quality is defined for us in the next verse. And this is eternal life, verse 3. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Salvation is not only a journey, but it's a beginning, a middle, and an end. Salvation is a relationship with the living God. At the heart of our salvation is to know the living God. There's a song in Jesus Christ whom he has sent. There's a song that, you know how I've been trying to get courage to sing in front of you? I'm not going to do it today. But he walks with me and he talks with me. What's the next line? He tells me I am his own. That's a relationship. This isn't simply a transaction. Salvation is a relationship, not simply a transaction. So stay with me on this one. I've said it many times in the last year. This is one of the things that God's been teaching me. And, and over, okay, I won't go there. I almost went off the script. Self-control, self-control. So salvation is a relationship, not simply a transaction. What do I mean by transaction? And here, here's how we've done it. And what I'm going to say now isn't wrong, but we've reduced it to this as opposed to seeing this as part of our salvation. We, we will come to someone and say, do you know Jesus, Joe? Say no. <laughs> Would you like to know Jesus? Okay, so now I want you to say this sinner's prayer. All right? So you say this prayer, and you've got to mean it, Joe. So, so then Joe repeats after me and says the prayer. And this, by the way, this is a, a technique, a methodology. I'm not, I'm not picking on it. I'm picking on how we've truncated it. So Joe says this prayer, and now I say, Joe, you now are forgiven of all your sins. There's a transaction, Joe. You just received Jesus, so your sins are forgiven. And guess what happens when you die, Joe? You go to heaven. So you're forgiven of all your past, and you go to heaven when you die. In fact, a lot of our evangelism techniques today, we use going to heaven as a primary thing. Do you want to go to heaven when you die? Well, accept Jesus, and you'll go to heaven when you die. And here's the, here's the that's not untrue. When I die, according to scripture, absent from the body, present with the Lord. You with me? I 100% believe that. It's a glorious truth. But that's not the primary motivator, motivator given in scripture from why you come to Jesus. In fact, the phrase, I want you to check me on this. I checked it in about eight translations. The phrase, go to heaven, is nowhere in the Bible. It's not the primary motivator given to accept Christ. The primary motivator given to accept Christ is to know the living God and to walk with him and to talk with him. And so when, when we present the gospel in the sense, Joe, you're forgiven, you're going to go to heaven, true things, I haven't presented to Joe what it means to walk with Jesus every day. That salvation is a relationship where I walk with the living God and with his son, Jesus Christ. But listen to John 14, 23. Jesus answered them last week. Jesus, we did this last week. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him, and he will come to him, and, and we will come to him, and what? Make our home with him. So, so this is the idea of you're now in God's family. 
You belong to him. He makes his home with you. And how did I suggest that happens last week? How does the father and son make their home in you today? Tell me you were listening last week. The Holy Spirit dwells in you permanently. So that's the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, our triune God. His, the Spirit lives in us permanently, which is a picture and a reality of the Father and Son made their home in me and in you. It is a family relationship. And in that family relationship comes forgiveness. In that family relationship comes the promise when you die and your body is in the grave, you are with Jesus. And the promise of someday he'll raise your body from the dead. And that's when your salvation is complete. So, but it's the heart of the salvation is the relationship. We have to get that. So if one way to see if you see your salvation as a transaction, not a relationship, is to look at your prayer life. And, and this, boy, this is, I'm pointing a finger at you and how many are pointing back at me? It should be 50 pointing back at me. What is the primary content of your prayer life? Is it primarily about asking God for things? Whether that's health, better job, better marriage. We can go on and on. All the temporal things we ask for. And by the way, John, or Matthew chapter 6 tells us to ask for these things. But when the heart of my relationship with Jesus is asking him for something for me, I've turned him into a distributor of benefits, not the Lord of my life. He wants me to ask him for those things. But I want you to read some of Paul's prayers. Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 3, that he, Paul doesn't pray any of those things for the church. He doesn't pray for any temporal things for the church. He prays for your relationship with God, that you might know him and, and, and grow in the knowledge of God and, and, and to, gra to grasp that he can do exceedingly abundantly beyond all you ask and think in your life, to know the power of his resurrection, Philippians 3, and the fellowship of his suffering. This is a relationship. In that relationship, just as a child asks their parents for things, Sometimes the parent says yes, sometimes they say no, right? Why do they say no? Say it again. Why do, the, why do parents say no sometimes? I can't handle it. Yes. That's what, you know, Louis Palau has a thing on five ways God answers prayers. One of them is no, I love you too much to give you that. And so we always talk to our Father in heaven about things we need in this life. But it flows out of, I'm walking with him and talking with him and, and, and asking him to work his son's character in my heart. It's a relationship. So let me read this summary here. Forgiveness and, and the final forgiveness and the final destination of heaven, that is being in God's house, are glorious truths. But these are because of the relationship with the Father and the Son through the Spirit. The relationship is the point. Otherwise, we are treating Jesus as a distributor of benefits. So I just want to continually tell you that. I, I'm working through this constantly. Um, when I wake up and pray or go to bed and pray or during the day, am I, am I first the foundation of my prayer? God, I want to know you. Open my heart to things in me that need to become like Jesus. Show me, show me where I fail. So, so when this happens for me, if we only see salvation as a transaction, 
then what happens is sin controls me. If salvation as a transaction is I'm forgiven and go to heaven someday, the in-between time is less emphasized, then that in-between time, I don't understand the power I have as a child of God to fight sin. So I, I get tempted, I give in to sin, I come back, I need forgiveness again, God. I need forgiveness again, God, and on and on. As opposed to, to, to the temptation comes, and by the way, we all give in to these temptations at times. But sometimes I believe we have to give in. Oh, but luckily we're forgiven. When in fact, the scripture says the spirit dwells in you. You are born again. You have a new heart. He's working the mind of Christ in you. And sin is no longer your master. You don't have to give in. The relationship reminds me of that. I don't want to sin against my Savior. Jesus, I'm so tempted right now, so tempted to give in to this temptation. But I don't want to grieve your spirit. I don't want to break the heart of my father. Help me fight this, Jesus. As opposed to, I've given in so many times, luckily I get the transaction of forgiveness. Now I realize I'm, I'm creating a caricature, maybe I'm overstating it. I just need you to think hard about, do you see your salvation as primarily a transaction of forgiveness in heaven? Or do you see those as two of the benefits of being in the family of God as you walk with your God? With me? All right, now. Jesus prays for our unity and God's love for us. This is where I hope we get blown away. We're going to jump to verse 20. I do not ask for those only, talking about his immediate disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So the 12 went out and preached the gospel. By the end of the first century, the gospel is all the way, believe it or not, the gospel is not only in Rome, it's gone all the way to England. That's how these 12 went out, and it just spread. Then they went out and spread the gospel. Then they went out and told two friends, and they told two friends. And guess what? You and I are the recipients of that 2,000 years ago. Jesus is praying for us right now. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us. That the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. We'll come back to that. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is Jesus' intercessory prayer for his disciples on the night before he's crucified. And this is what he prays for us every day, that we would be one. I want you to look at verses 22 and 23 again closely. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That, here's the reason, here's the result or the purpose, that they may be one even as we are one. Then he describes that one. I and them, you and me. So I and my followers, you father in me, that they may become perfectly one. So that... The world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. There is so much here 
I in them, you in me, that the, they may become perfectly one, that the world may know that you sent me. The world is supposed to see Jesus comes from the Father because Christians live in unity. I, I was hoping a little reaction. The world will know that Jesus came from the Father because they see Christians living in unity. How are we doing? Terrible is an understatement. I was just listening to a book on tape. As I drive up here, I listen to books on the history of the Reformation. And I just cannot believe how quickly when the, the Protestant church started separated from the Catholic church, and then the Protestant church fragmented unbelievably and and still fragmented there's so much work to be done and I've said this before from up here and I'll say it today I believe the primary people responsible for that fragmentation is pastors I really believe that I believe that pastors run from arrogant to insecure Hopefully, your pastor's here in the middle. But we keep things separate because of insecurities, I believe, and arrogance. I, I love our Good Friday service coming up. Tim, Jeff, and I have been friends for up to five years now, meeting regularly. Presbyterian, Foursquare, and whatever we are. What are we? We're Christians. Um, and... And now um, Angel and Ruby, who are the pastors of the Foursquare Church, the Hispanic Church, are joining us. And this is, this is combining and growing to a place where we learn to love each other, but we meet in separate addresses, that we understand we're one church. This needs to grow and grow and grow. And it's not simple, folks. It's not simple at all. Often we divide because of doctrine, and doctrine is important. It truly is. Um, we divide because of certain practices. Those people are weird over there. I don't want to go to church with them. Or they think we're weird. Um, but we have to do a lot more work to do with this because then the world will know that Jesus came from the Father. But that, that's where I wanted to, to, to put a responsibility in us to learn and pray about what it means to be unified with other Christians. But look at the next phrase. So the world may know that you sent me and that you love them even as you have loved me. Do you believe that God loves you just as he loves his son? I see a few heads going like this. Do you believe that God loves you just like he loves Jesus Christ? Do you know how much the Father loves Jesus Christ? Infinitely. And he loves you and me the same. Those of you that don't believe that or struggle with that, why do you struggle with that? Yeah, this isn't a trick question. You, you love Jesus more than you love yourself. Interesting. I'll have to unpack that with you. I, I sometimes go, well, I'm not that lovable. Jesus is lovable. I'm not. I don't deserve his love. So, and so God loves me as much as he loves his own son. Here's the point. That's a declaration. God's love for you is not based upon what you do. God's love for you is not based upon 
of, of how much you obey versus disobey. God's love for you is a declaration on his part to say, I choose to love you just like I love my own son. And that love is transformative in our lives. When we truly grasp that, it changes who I am. And so I need you to, to meditate on this today. We've got to stop and read this again and again until it floors us. That the world may know that you sent me, Father, and, Father, that you loved the people at Cornerstone Community Church just as much as you loved me. Then that empowers us. That it's no longer about performance to get God's approval. It's about stepping into an identity as a child of God and living through the power of the Spirit to live that life that produces a unity among other Christians. The world goes, there's something about those people. There's something about them. I want to know their Savior. So I think I'll, I think I'll just leave it hanging there for a moment. Elaine and I were talking, and there's a song she'd like to sing as you consider this truth that you are loved, you individually are loved by the Father just as much as he loves your Savior, Jesus. Elaine, please. I've got a friend He's closer than a brother There is no judging Oh, how he loves me I've got a friend And he is my strength He is my portion With me in the valley with me in the fire, with me in the storm. Let
really loves you. And you got, I think on the human terms, as I, as I wrap up this message, I think on human terms of loving one another, which is an imperfect love. Um, some of you, many of you know this, my story of my first marriage. And I came home one day and all my wife's stuff is gone. After 26 years of marriage, gone. And she left with somebody else. And when that happens to a person, when your spouse chooses someone else over you, it, um, it takes your self-esteem, your view of yourself, and throws it in the toilet and flushes it. Excuse the image. And you wonder, what is wrong with me? Then I meet Teresa. And she adores me for some reason. And in, in our, I mean, we were married 15 years two weeks ago. And, and in our first five, six years of marriage, I kept saying, why do you love me? When are you going to see what's wrong with me and stop loving me? And she says, never. It's an imperfect love. We have imperfect love. But, but Teresa's love for me lifts me up as a human being to a height I can't explain to you. And that pales in comparison to when we truly grasp the love of God for each other, for you. And then it says there, if I can find it again, I made known to them your name, Father, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. His love is given to me, given to you, to return it to him and to love one another. Thus the power to obey the two greatest commandments. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. All of this is possible because you have two helpers. You have two paracletes. The Holy Spirit who is in you, and Jesus Christ who is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you every moment of every day. Father, we thank you for these truths. Drill them deep into our hearts, our minds. Have them affect our behavior, our worship, our conversations with friends and neighbors, those who know you, those who don't know you, our fellow Christians out there from different churches who think differently than us, Lord. Help us to grasp they are to be loved by us as you love them. What a life-changing truth these words are, Lord. So work it mightily in us. And thank you. In Christ's name, we all said...